Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with one of our guest hosts, uh, Scott Fraser, who comes to us in a background in, in, in publishing. Um, so I'd love if, uh, Scott, you can do a little bit of introduction of what you're doing now, and then we'll go back in time and try to learn a little bit more about what Scott was like as a kid. So what are you up to now? Sure. Uh, okay, so I turned 40 years old last year in 2020. Oh, <laughs> All right, so that's the, that's where I that's the stage of life I'm at, and I'm uh, I'm currently working as the the uh, the president and publisher of Dundurn Press, uh, which is a book publishing company based in Toronto, Canada. That, that's amazing. So I'd love to go back in time and uh, talk a little bit about what Scott was like as a kid. So what are some of the earliest <laughs> fondest memories that you have? Uh, were you uh, kind of a sporty kid? Uh, well, I guess there's probably books in there somewhere. Or what, were you, what was it like growing up uh, in the Scott Fraser household? <laughs> so my earliest memories happen in Coburg, Ontario, which is a okay. small town about an hour and a half uh, east of Toronto. And I remember having uh, a little pond in our backyard in our family okay. house where I learned how to skate. Oh, okay. this was, uh, and we had ducks living in this little pond okay. um, and, and quite, quite an extensive wilderness area behind the house. Right. So my earliest memories really involve kind of hiking in the, these trails, these forested areas with my, with my mother and uh, playing with the ducks and frogs and other little creatures that, uh, that lived in, in, in the backyard. Um, and uh, w- uh, when I was about six years old, we moved to uh, Durham region, which is a little bit, little bit closer to Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, so the, the Whitby Oshawa area. Um, I remember being kind of, a, I, I, you know, I think I, I was a, a socially quiet kid. Like I didn't really mix too, too much. I, didn't, I don't, I don't so when, I, when I was very young, I don't remember having a, an awful lot of friends. I spent a lot of time with my, with my uh, older sister. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, you know, it's a pretty standard suburban uh, kind of family dynamic. Uh, you know, the the the, the two point three kids and the the <laughs> three bedroom house in the suburbs. I, I don't remember having a white picket fence, but it was right. pretty. You know, that that was kind of the the um, the aspirations of the family. I would say to have that kind of middle class kind of uh, life. Cool. And, and, then, and then what was kind of the progression? So I, I know you did a, a stint in, in the armed forces and, and you're definitely involved in, in books. So where did those uh, things come into your uh, um, sphere of influence? Well, I, I for me, I, you know, fast forwarding from childhood into adolescence, I think books like I, I was a precocious reader. Okay. And, and I, I think I kind of used books to build myself up a little bit because I, I think there was definitely some self-esteem issues. Hmm. Um, I don't know if the if the folks listening can see, but I, I am a, I, I am black. So uh, growing up in the eighties, there were you know there was it was it was just tough, right? It was a, it was a different culture, a different world, and um, uh, not to say that all those problems have gone away in the twenty first century or anything, but you know as it was a kind of a the nineteen eighties, uh, it, it was a tough a tough time to grow up as a as a as a black kid in a in a predominantly white uh, town. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I, I had, I had some friends, but books were always kind of a refuge. It made, it made me feel um, like this is the thing I can hang my hat on. Like I was a pretty good athlete, but not the best. But I could be the, I could be um, 
you know, I, 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 I could impress people with my, with my intelligence that I was completely plagiarized from books. I just ripped it off from what I read. Not, not an original thought in my head until quite, uh, quite a lot later. <laughs> and, and what were some of those key books, right? Were there a couple ones that stuck out like, wow, these ones really kind of hit home either because of, of, of the storytelling or, or inspiration or whatever? What, what were some of those, those, those key ones in, in terms of growing up for you? Well, you know, it's funny because um, my partner and I are just are, are getting ready to move out of our house temporarily because um, it's old and it needs to be renovated. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I was going through a bunch of stuff because we're purging, we're getting, we're throwing out all kinds of stuff. Um, and I finally have come around to trying to organize my books. And mm -hmm. I found, I found an absolutely battered paperback of, of um, a novel that was, I think it was published in the 60s. Yeah. That I, I found it in the Whitby Public Library. Uh, so yeah. there's still a little, there's still a little, um, you know, a, a, a borrowing, a borrower slip in the book. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's stamped with Whitby Public Library. And I'm pretty sure I paid for it. I, I don't, I, I'm not the kind of person that would steal books, but okay. um, especially not from a library. Uh, but, but, um, it, it was the it's called the mask of apollo and it was the first book that i read that had that depicted um same-sex relationships in a positive way and you know that that was actually it, you know it, it, i didn't realize it at the time but it just kind of um it's kind of opened opened my mind a little bit about being um you know that, that uh, accepting and uh it, it was certainly surprising to read a book like that i had never considered you know, I think I was probably like 14 or 15 or 16, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I never, never really thought about, um, thought about that, <laughs> that other than as a, something that, that, you know, other people do um, over there. Uh, so, so that was, that was kind of a, you know, I think it really broadened my mind. And I think that's, that is the power of, of, of books. That's amazing. So um, we're kind of in, in the adolescent years and, and you're probably in, in that stage where, where mom and dad want you to kind of grow up and figure out what you want to do uh, when you uh, go to college, university or whatever is in the cards at, at that point in time. Uh, what was kind of that decision making process of, of like what to do from a, from a career standpoint as, as you were growing up? Well, so I don't know um, how many, maybe the middle children out there can relate, but I was a middle kid uh, and I was the boy, I was, I'm sandwiched between two sisters. And um, I don't think, you know, I, this may not be fair to my parents, but I, I, I don't think that they thought I was necessarily going to be the, the high achiever of the, of the family. <laughs> um, I, I think, uh, you know, academically, my older sister, she was, she was the gifted student. Okay. Um, my little sister was quite a, quite a hardworking student and, and has always seemed to have quite a bit of focus in her life. Um, whereas I was, I was I, you know, quite lost. Uh, <laughs> I struggled in school. Um, I, I did okay with sports and athletics, so that was kind of an anchor for me. Um, but like I said, I was never, never good enough at sports where it was like, okay, this guy's, you know, we, we can make a career, you know, make it, make it to the pros or something. Sure. So I, I really didn't have a clear idea um, in my mind. I, there, there was a lot of pressure for us to, to do, to pursue academics. Okay. Um, like I certainly wasn't encouraged to consider a career in the trades, for example, mm. um, for, for my, my dad, um, education and specifically higher education was, was sort of the core operating, uh, principle. 
uh, that, that, that was a strategy that worked well for him and worked well for his father. And I think right. that kind of immigrant uh, experience where, where you know, you, you repeat the pattern because it worked. Yep. Uh, so my grandfather, you know, somehow managed to get through uh, university in, in Canada in the 50s and 60s. And uh, my my father uh, went to went to university had has um, an, a, a master's degree, um, and uh, so that that was sort of the path. That was what we were supposed to do. Uh, you're supposed to do do well in school and then go to university. Um, so the the idea would be you know the kind of careers that that were on the table: um, teaching, mm-hmm. law, medicine. Um, maybe engineering, but it was really like the, the idea was that we were, we, my sisters and I were supposed to pursue um, one of these good, uh, well-paying professions. Um, and it, at least in my case, that certainly didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so what ended up happening? Uh, so you have these expectations, you're expected to go to school and, and then what is kind of the decision-making process along the way? So, so you weren't, uh, I guess, academically as robust a student as maybe mm-hmm. your sisters. Uh, the the uh, sports side or athletic side w- wasn't going to get you a scholarship anywhere. Um, so so and and like trades and stuff were frowned upon. So wh- wh- how how did uh, kind of the thought process to kind of choose a career path go for you? Yeah. Uh, so so the first important decision I made uh, as a as a teenager, uh, I decided uh, around grade eleven at the end of grade eleven going into grade twelve, and I'm old enough that I had to do grade thirteen or OAC mm-hmm. in Ontario. Um, but, uh, uh, around grade 11, I decided that I wanted to go to university. Okay. And so I started attending class, doing the, doing the assignments short, like paying attention, paying a little bit more attention in school, uh, enough to get my grades up that I was accepted into the U of T. Okay. Um, so, so that like the first decision I made was a conscious one to, to pay a bit more attention to school. Hmm. Um, so, so I finished up high school with uh, the grades to get into U of T, uh, barely. <laughs> I had to really work hard to up my average because I had, you know, I was, like I said, I was a very poor student uh, right up until grade 12. Um, so, so getting into university, it, it, that was about 18 months of me really working hard at high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, getting into U of T, I, I originally sort of thought, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible and get into law school, hopefully with only two years of undergrad, maybe three, if I have to, I might finish the degree. Uh, but I really, my thing was I wanted to get into law school as fast as possible so I could start making money. Um, uh, and I think the, the pressure to earn a living and to start making income was pretty high. I mean, I, and I'll put it this way. Uh, the option, the career, the, you know, the, the summer job options for, for a, a kid in, in uh, Whitby, Oshawa, unless your parents owned a business or had connections, it was pretty limited. So, so um, in addition to, uh, I think, yeah, you, we've talked about uh, my first job in the past, which was umpiring baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got involved, I, I kind of parlayed my interest in sports into a, into a part-time summer job, nice. which w- that turned out to be a great great thing for me to do so so i i was earning a little bit of money umpiring 
but obviously uh, tuition is, is more than what I, you know, generally speaking, more than what I could uh, could make uh, in a summer. Yep. And so I started supplementing that by working part-time, uh, you know, in the summers and part-time uh, in factories in Oshawa. So there, there's lots of uh, industrial uh, back, at least, you know, 20, 20, 25 years ago, there was uh, quite a, a strong industrial base in the area. So, you know, I, I, I worked in factories, I worked in warehouses um, and, I found it really um, difficult. Uh, it's hard work. It, the, it, the, it's hard on the body. It's hard on the mind. It's it's just really really tough work, and um, that led to a second major decision in my life, which was uh, screw this. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to work in factories for the rest of my life. And by the way, I started. Uh, in this time, I, I resumed some of my bad st uh, study habits. Mm. Uh, I got off to a great start at U of T and then lost interest. Mm. So my grades started to slip again. Um, so I was in a real tough spot. Like I, uh, my plan to fast track my my uh, career in law was in flames because I, I couldn't focus on school. And I was, you know, breaking my body working in these factories yeah. and, and umpiring was quite a physical job as well. And, you know, being young, this young man, so I could handle it. But then I thought, okay, um, this isn't for, this isn't for me. And what else is? And and I started looking again for for some inspiration, and thought about um, the. I started thinking for the first time about a military career, okay. um, and that was that was something that uh, has the military has played a, a, a substantial role in my family's history. On both sides, both sides of the family tree. Um, so I decided to give that a go. Um, and at first, I, it was meant to be sort of like, ah, oh, you know, I joined the I joined the reserves, which is sort of like, um, you know, it's part time, uh, a limited limited commitment. Uh, bef but before I knew it, it was my career. So <laughs> I thought I thought I was just going to dip my toes in the water. But before I knew it, it was that that was what I did, and I was a soldier. So tell us a little bit about that decision-making process. So, so you're in uh, law school, things aren't going so, so well. And then uh, I guess what you did is, is reflected back on kind of the family history and said, you know what, there's a bit of kind of this military background. Uh, maybe I'll give it a go. So, so what's that decision-making process uh, like to actually like kind of switch uh, out and, and, and pursue that other path? Well, just to clarify one thing, I, I never applied to law school. Um, okay. I, what I was in my, I joined the, I, I, I applied to join the, the, the military uh, after my second year, or yeah, I guess after my second year of university, okay. um, funds were low. Um, and if, if, uh, if folks will remember, uh, this had been around uh, 2001. Uh, so obviously there was a big, uh, you know, the September 11 uh, yep. was a major, major uh, event. And I figured uh, it was paradoxically a good time to join the military because I, I assumed that the, the recruiting drive would be would be in full full speed ahead because I, I was anticipating um, a period of, of war and conflict, which turned mm -hmm. out to be. Uh, probably a little bit longer than anyone anticipated, but uh, yeah, it, it, it just, it, it was opportunistic. It was, it was, the, I, I knew the military was hiring. I figured that it would be a way to, um, you know, to, to, to kind of get out of the factories to, to, to have a bit of, um, it could, I saw it as a potential, a potential route for upward mobility. Um, you know, certainly, certainly a, uh, it seemed like a better career choice than, you know, hoping that that I could let, uh, latch on with one of the the um, auto unions or whatever in, in town, um, and because yeah, like I said, my my by second year of undergrad, my my grades were were sinking again, 
Uh, and it was never it was never a case of not being smart enough or not uh, not being clever enough. It was just a complete lack of interest and focus, right. um, which has has plagued me for for uh, you know that's been it's been kind of my Achilles heel for for uh, most of my my uh, my life is that lack of focus. So so tell us a little bit about kind of that transition into the the armed forces then. So so. Um to that lack of focus, maybe you're bored of school and you mm-hmm. find your next adventure. So the armed forces is it. So you join the reserves and, and start uh, spending more time there. And then what's kind of the, the, the progression or what's the career like in the army? Well, first things first, it, like, uh, it, it, you know, for, for, for better or for worse, the military will get a, a young man like me to sit still and pay attention. Right. Um, so, so it, it, it did give me a, a kind of a focus and a drive that I hadn't had before. Um, almost like, uh, you know, I think right before I joined the military, I had started uh, training in martial arts quite seriously for about a year or two before I, I joined the military. And until then, like that, like that was sort of my first sort of discipline focus, like, you know, you're going to learn how to do this, this training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, I, you know, the, I would say the military gave me that kind of, uh, um, I guess, like a call, like not a. It's, it's a strange thing to say, Luki. It's it's like that, just a, a bit of focus. Um, that that kind of, uh, I I was determined to pass my courses, to pass my training, to be a good officer, to be a good leader, um, and so it, it just kind of it gave me uh, like something to, um, it gave me an identity uh, mm. that that I I think I lacked before. Yeah, I was going to say it sounded like you had a little bit more of like a purpose, a goal and, and kind of that identity where, yeah, I mean, law, if, if you never really saw yourself in that uh, light and, and, and maybe that's where it was waning a little bit. Um, now the armed person, and from my understanding, they're, they're, they're a bit of a family where, where everyone takes care of themselves and all that stuff. So, so maybe you found a little bit of that in, in there as well. Uh, and then how does that turn into uh, a current publishing? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. A little bit different as well. <laughs> so, so this is, uh, I, I joke sometimes that, that um, this, is, this is my FAQ. Okay, so when, <laughs> when people learn about me, they learn about, they're, they're asking about publishing. The, the FAQ is how the heck do you go from the military to book publishing? Right. And, and I, get, like, you know, I, under, I guess I understand it. I think there's probably some, some I guess some, some stereotypes about the kind of people who join the military, which are, mm-hmm. you know, I think that maybe there's some truth to it, but I think largely it's, it's kind of, you know, from t- film and TV. Uh, but I, I, w- I remain very bookish. I mean, I, I, did a, a, I, I did an overseas deployment and um, so with, with the United Nations and, you know, uh, in, uh, flying to Sudan, my, my uh, trunk, my, my, my gear box, I, I brought I brought a small library with me <laughs> to to to, uh, to Sudan, and I carried it with me across the country. And I I did, I I just refused to be anywhere without a selection of of reading material. Sure. Um, and then my partner back home was sending me uh, mail, uh, which included uh, books in just about every care package I received. Um, so so I was always reading. Um, and it was it was during that deployment uh, that I realized that the military was not going to be my permanent uh, home. Like it wasn't okay. like this was I was I was coming to the end. Um, and when I got back, uh, um, the the position that uh, within the forces that I had been hoping uh, for 
uh, had been had been filled by someone else, and so they kind of uh, they shuffled me off into the into the public affairs office where I wasn't really having a good time. And luckily, at that point, my I was working for a for um, a boss who was very uh, pro education, and she mm. uh, I guess she, you know, I think I think she saw some potential in me uh, because she did offer me offer to put me on a training course to, to put me on the promotion track. Okay. Uh, but I, I just, I just said, no. Um, and I, 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 she, she was very good. She allowed me to, to a little bit of time to kind of figure out what I was going to do. Uh, she gave me the time I needed to work on. I, I, in this time, I, I decided while I was still in Sudan that I was going to finish my degree. Uh, so she gave my, my boss in the public affairs department, she let me work on my schoolwork when I was, uh, even when things were slow or like I, okay. I'd be at the base doing, writing an essay and <laughs> whatever, like if I was, uh, if I was, um, had a shift in the, as a duty officer, it was like people just, like they, they, they allowed me to work on my, my schoolwork. Um, okay. so, so it was like, I managed to finish the degree, uh, pretty, pretty quickly. And. At that time, my older sister, Shannon, who I, I mentioned, uh, we've always been very close. Um, she, she was at the, the um, Ryerson University, the Chang School uh, uh, publishing program. Okay. Um, I had no idea what I was gonna do post-military, completely, again, completely lost. Uh, so I just followed my, my, I did what I always did when I was a kid and followed Shannon. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was, she was doing this thing. I had no idea that there was a book publishing industry in Canada until right. I was about 30 years old coming out of the military. So, um, uh, it, it's, it's really just, uh, you know, the, my sister was doing it. I thought, Hey, if I, I could probably do it. I've been following her my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I enrolled. And I suppose that's, yeah, the rest is history. I, I, <laughs> I got into publishing. I haven't left. <laughs> Sounds good. And before we get into that, I would love if you could share a little bit about uh, what you mentioned about uh, kind of that uh, realization that this wasn't for me, right? When, when, back in the army, so you're on deployment and because a lot of folks, right? Yeah, th- this is great. This is awesome. And, and you had a little bit of that uh, before, but then you had this realization, okay, this is not going to be my, my home <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. What does that realization like feel like, or, or what? How do you have that realization? Well, the, so there was. I think it was the culmination of a bunch of things that had been ha- that had had gone down. I, I started to. Um, I, I, I I became a, re- a really strong critic of of the war in Afghanistan, mm. um, and, and I think that kind of. Uh, I lost faith in the institution of the mm. military, uh, in part because of my personal direct experience, but in part be, uh, seeing how how um, things were playing out, not just in Afghanistan, but with the guys coming back from deployment. And so that whole story about we're a family uh, started to become less and less, uh, it looked less and less like the truth. Right. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, you know, it was a major, major existential crisis for me, I guess a quarter life crisis, uh, where, where I think the confluence of, of all these observations and experiences, uh, shaking my view of reality, uh, that was, that, that was, a tra- that was traumatizing. Mm. It was like losing a family. Like, you know, I, I really feel, it felt like, um, I've never been divorced, but I imagine that, uh, that, that kind of separation, or family family breakdown would feel kind of similar. Like it felt, it right. fe- I guess, like that. It felt like I was I was um, breaking up with my with my adopted family. Mm. Well, 
so so it seems like there's a whole bunch of different factors it wasn't just one uh, epiphany type moment it was like all these different things and uh backing back to what you mentioned about like kind of shaking your identity it's like well what I, you believe was true wasn't necessarily the case so you had to go down this other path so so now that we're, we're plugged back into the the kind of um, publishing path, so you followed o- older sister, which has been so good so far, uh, and I guess uh, it has the path been uh, pretty straightforward. You kind of grow up the ranks because uh, publishing, publishing yeah. has been in in a pretty challenging situation over the years as well. So I can't imagine that was a straight line either. No, no, my I've had lots of ups and downs, and and. Um, I guess you know. I, I guess it's a sign that I, I've I'm a, I've become a grizzled veteran in the publishing industry because <laughs> I get invited to talk to students now. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's it's kind of like I used to think of myself as one of the young the young guns coming up in the business, and now I'm I'm uh, talking to kids who look or t- I'm talking to young people who who are young enough to be my children, <laughs> uh, uh, so, and and that that's kind of interesting. And I, and I, I, I do like to, to, you know, I just feel confident enough in my, where I, where my journey to say that, oh, I, I have, I've had ups and downs. I've been fired. I've been laid off. I've had conflicts with, with, uh, with bosses, with colleagues. It's, it's not been a straightforward uh, uh, progression. It's been a very difficult adjustment uh, coming out of the military into civilian life. That was a difficult adjustment. Mm. And then figuring out how to be, how to navigate this new world and how to make the best of, as you say, a very difficult industry. Um, how to, how to, uh, how to try to, um, uh, uh, innovate, uh, in an industry that, that is, uh, uh, well, I mean, it's conservative almost by nature. I mean, it's uh, the, the, the basic model hasn't changed very much since Gutenberg made the printing press. So, you know, it's, we, 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 all this new technology presents challenges for, for our business and opportunities. Sounds good. So could you give us a few of those kind of highlights, maybe uh, some of the general swipes? So so what do you share with some of the students in your talk yeah, about yeah. trying to get into publishing so so they can, well, watch this podcast before they, they uh, have to stay for, for, for your talk? And, and, yeah, that's uh, right. And then, they don't and need then to. They, well, and then they can ask the more pointed questions about anything more specific. So it's not just kind of the general stuff. It's, it's the more specific. So, so what are some of the things that you would probably uh, share with folks um, heading into the publishing world and, and maybe just generally from generally yeah so yeah. so one of the swikes in my life is is a question and it's a question that i ask myself and i, I sometimes i still screw this up uh, which which uh, maybe we can talk about later but the question is do you want to be right or do you want to be effective mm, okay and they're not always the same thing okay um and 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 i think when i when i was younger uh i i had a tendency to think that I'm right, and not only am I right, but that means that you're wrong. Um, and to help, I don't care what it does to our relationship. I'm mm. right, uh, and that's not effective uh, in work, in career, unless you're working all by yourself. Um, you can't be like that. You can't right. be that. It doesn't matter if you're the boss. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest person in the room. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you're a special, rarefied genius. You still have mm. to get along with other people, because work is a social practice it's it's a social exercise uh unless you're lucky enough to to work completely in isolation all by yourself but then you probably have customers you probably have clients you probably have other stakeholders who sometimes are going to drive you nuts um so so that's the that's a major swike for me is is do you want to be right or do you want to be effective 
that's amazing. Actually, I, I talk to a lot of folks where sometimes in the, in the career coaching and the counseling perspective, it's it's similar but different where would you rather be happy or would you rather be right? <laughs> because, mm. uh, oftentimes when you're dealing with someone else, you, you want to be right. And, and to your point, you want to emphasize that to get your point across and acknowledge that uh, they're doing something incorrectly or differently. Uh, and then often that doesn't end up with happiness. So, so in your case, you translate happiness to effectiveness, which I think is in some cases, similar things, <laughs> right? Well, certainly like uh, to, to reduce conflict. Cause I don't think like, to, I, I don't, I, I always say, I say at work that I, I don't mind lively debate and it can certainly look like conflict, especially because in, in books, everything we do is so uh, it's political and personal. Okay, mm. so we're talking about uh, we're often uh, when we're when we're working in books, we're often touching people's core values, which is always you know that's a that's a a red light, a, a yellow light. It's caution. You you could poke someone in, on on a nerve that that can can draw a reaction, mm -hmm. but but there's a difference between disagreeing and and um, that kind of like digging one's heels in and uh, you know okay here's the military term which hill do you want to die on you know yeah. like is, is every single inch of, of ground worth fighting for eh, probably not probably right. not yeah i think that's definitely one that uh, folks should consider uh, especially as uh, they learn to deal with folks because uh, unfortunately that's not part of the core curriculum right <laughs> nobody really well, exactly. teaches you how to deal with people in that there, there, there should be a course maybe uh, in first year or in high school or whatever like like people 101 <laughs> right? and, and, and this should probably be one of the, the first topics that, that are teach that are taught uh, what, what are some other pieces of spike that, that you'd want to share with uh, yourself if you had uh, young Scott uh, in various points of his career maybe some of the, the most pivotal ones uh, what, what are some of the things that you'd want to share with him well on so so uh this one looks inward uh the the, the last one kind of dealt with uh, deals with how to deal with other people this one is about how to deal with yourself and uh for me it's the goal of unconditional self-acceptance mm. so it's it's really easy to accept yourself when you're scoring all the goals or hitting all the home runs or or you're, you know getting a's in school uh it's a lot harder to accept yourself when you're not doing so well mm. but that's the challenge right so so i know i uh, i i make so many mistakes at work and usually the mistakes i make aren't so much technical they're social mm. because i've always been hard to work with i know that and, and so being able to accept myself even when i i can see that i've made a mistake or i see that i'm not being the guy that i want to be um, or if I, you know, I'm being, I'm being a little, uh, uh, mean or, 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 uh, authoritarian or, or, uh, uh, rude, uh, I can still accept myself. It's like, okay, I'm not my behavior. I can work to change my behavior. I, I can still accept myself even when I'm not perfect, uh, which is just about every day. <laughs> I, I think that's amazing. And, and for folks to really have that that self-awareness where they can uh, be uh, con conscious of, of some of the things that uh, aren't, aren't perfect, whatever perfect is about, mm. about them. And then to your point about that self-acceptance, I think that, that self-acceptance, self-love, self-whatever it is, uh, and, and saying, you know what, you are who you are. And, and also not that identifying uh, yourself based on your past, right? Because every, every moment you can make a, a new decision to say, you know what, I used to behave this way, but not today. 
<laughs> not, not going mm -hmm. forward. And, and, and you can always uh, recover from that. But that doesn't mean you won't uh, slide down that slippery slope back again. <laughs> but yeah. there's, there's always the hope that uh, you can continue on in whatever path that, that you choose going forward. That's right. Yeah, so it's being forgiving. It's, it's, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, uh, in the context of the year that the year plus that we've all just been through, mm -hmm. um, I think that's even more important the, the the ability to accept oneself, because I know a lot of people are struggling to not not just like not just with work, but like, even with basics, right? Like there are people who've lost their their jobs. And I know I've, uh, I've experienced unemployment. And it can be a major, it, 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 it often is a major uh, um, crisis moment for a person. Right. And so if there's anyone, and if there's anyone in that position listening, um, I would just say that, you know, it, now is the time more than ever that you need to accept yourself, uh, even when things aren't going so well, because you're still worth it. Um, and, and uh, it, it, you know, so I, it was really hard for me when my, at times when my career were not going well, uh, especially post-military. Um, Cause you know, I, I think in, in the military, I had, there's just so much, um, you're, it feels like you're a someone no matter who you are, because mm. you'll always have people coming up and saying, oh, thank you for your service. Or, you know, you, you have the thanks of a nation community and all this stuff. Now be, try, <laughs> try going from that to starting at the bottom rung of a, of a career ladder and then losing your job. Right. Uh, that is really, really tough. Um, and I, I'm not that tough of a person. So if I can do it, so can, so can anyone else. <laughs> that, that sounds like that, uh, that Mike Tyson quote where everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then one of those proverbs of, of, uh, this too shall pass. So as, as, as challenging as any situation is, I mean, we'll get we'll get over it and uh, come out come out stronger uh, as a result. So I think that's a lot of uh, good, useful words of wisdom, and and uh, would be uh, happy to have you back for uh, more of a discussion on any of these topics. I think there's a lot to to unpack in there. But uh, what are some of your future aspirations? And and if folks wanted to connect with you, uh, where where could they uh, reach out if if they were willing if they wanted to connect? Oh sure, yeah. So I would love to come back, and thanks, thank you for having me today. Um, General, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn, Scott Fraser. Um, you can also find me via uh, the uh, Dundurn, uh, Dundurn Press. Uh, that's uh, www.dundurn.com. Um, maybe you'll find a book that you want to read in there too. Uh, <laughs> we certainly certainly encourage anyone listening to uh, take a look. And and uh, there, I I suspect that there's something for everyone on our list. Um, so yeah, I would definitely appreciate. Uh, appreciate that kind of support and uh, yeah, happy to connect to, with anyone who's, who's interested in books, publishing, uh, uh, the arts, uh, business. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like talking to people. I like, uh, if anyone's curious in what I'm doing, I'm happy to talk about it. Cool. And are there any uh, big upcoming milestones that, that, that you're willing to share and kind of uh, uh, aspire towards or kind of goals that, that are in the near future? Well, you know, uh, now that the now that things are starting to open up a little bit in Toronto, uh, we're making preparations to open a, a, our a small retail store okay. in the east end of Toronto. So that's going to be exciting. And Dundurn is also we're in preparations to celebrate our 50th anniversary as a company. Um, and the last one, if I can, if there's anyone who's interested in very um, literary fiction, um, we've just launched a, a brand new imprint called Rare Machines. Okay. And you can you can find out more information about that uh, at thundern.com. 
That's perfect. So thanks so much, Scott, for uh, sharing your, your insights and, and uh, uh, some of your, your future career aspirations. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to having you back in a future episode. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.